Hey, well, uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Benji Baker, and uh, if you don't know me, I'm the student pastor here at Fellowship. Been here about 12 years, and uh, get to, it's a joy to work with the 7th through 12th grade kids and then get to hang out, you know, oversee the college ministry coin right there. And so, um, so uh, and it's a joy this morning to be here on Father's Day, being a father. Uh, really cool. My father's in town right there. Look at that. Yeah, we look a little different. He's got no hair. I got a lot of hair. Um, <laughs> I'm heading that direction, though. I'm getting a little spot here. So, um, but so, so good to have him this morning and my mom here, too. So uh, what a joy. Um, so, hey, my family, uh, we just got back on a, uh, an amazing, well, we thought it was amazing. It was amazing, a, a three-week adventure uh, of going camping. And so we, took a, we borrowed a pop-up camper from some friends or from family, and we decided, hey, we're going to go all the way to the Grand Canyon. And like I said, it was really, really good, and it was really, really bad, okay? So we blew up a few tires, you know, we blew up a radiator, you know, you know, car went and started times, but, you know, but here's what I'll say, the, the journey was worth it, right? All the craziness of just getting there, uh, but just getting there, and uh, it was so worth it. It was so beautiful, all the different things we got to see. We got to end in the Rocky National Parks, um, so after seeing canyons for a few weeks, it's nice to see green and lakes, and, and it was just incredible, incredible. Um, and, but one thing, one of my favorite things about that trip was um, this picture right here. So this is my son, Reed. Uh, there he is right there. There you go. Um, but, yeah, this is Reed. And so we were, uh, this was at Zion National Park, and I, I love this hat. I was like, I want to buy this hat. And then Reed came and said, hey, hey, I want to get the same hat. And, you know, because, you know, I want to look like you. And that's what I love at this age, right? Uh, a lot of times your kids, like, they want to be like you. They want to, they you know, and so they want to dress like you, want to be like you. And so now, now don't get too sentimental. I do know I'm a youth pastor, so I know about four years that's all gone, right? Like, <laughs> you don't want to be anything like me in a few years, okay? So I know that's coming, but right now, that's pretty sweet. And so I think the really cool thing about that is that I think all of us, right, like deep down, whether you're still a kid, you're a teenager, or you're grown, like you want your parents or the people in your life that you love and look up to, like you want them to know that, man, they're proud of you, and you, and you want to know that they love you, right? And, and you want to be like them to some degree. And, and that kind of connects us with our text today because Paul's basically going to be addressing uh, this young church, and then he's going to be saying, like, you know, how, you know, what pleases God? You know, like, how do we know that God is pleased with us? How do we know that God, right, is, is proud of us? And so, um, so if you want to turn with me, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 through 12. And so as you turn there, I'm going to kind of set the context because, you know, you know, God's desire was, you know, for his people to kind of be like him. But this culture was totally different than God. So you got to imagine this church that Paul's writing to, they grew up in this culture. So the things Paul's teaching them and telling them about God is totally different than their culture. So here's a few things. One is they were a lover of philosophy. They loved debating. They loved talking. They loved thinking about all the different gods and debating and talking about it. Uh, which is kind of like our culture, right? Like we love, like you go on Facebook, we love to debate. We love to talk and we love politics. We love just conversations and talking and not a lot of action. And that was kind of a lot like this culture. Uh, this culture also loves sex. So we're going to talk about sex this morning, okay? So well, there you go, yeah. So like they loved it, right? Like, I mean, the sexual desire was the thing that they worshipped. And, then, man, they acted on that however they wanted. And we're going to kind of give some details on that later. Um, also, they loved themselves, 
Okay? They love themselves. And again, like, they, it was, it was, culture is about themselves versus others. And so again, a lot like us, right? Like our culture, man, sex is everywhere, right? It's, it is everywhere. It doesn't matter what you watch or listen to. Like, it's, it's in about everything. And then also, we have selfie sticks. We love ourselves, right? Like, we, we've got that, right? We love taking pictures of ourselves. So we're no different, okay? We're really, really close to this original culture as we dive into the Word. And so, um, but what we're going to see is that God's going to have some desires for us. And his first desire is that God's desire for you is that that you have holy living. So if you want to feel like holy living. Um, and so I'm going to go ahead and open up the word. We're going to be First uh, uh, Thessalonians 4, and I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. And it says this, Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you were doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. So I'm going to stop there, underline that, your sanctification. So what Paul is saying here, so this is the will. And so the will of God is something that we're supposed to do. It is a command. It's like something we have to do, right? We're commanded to, but it's much bigger and better than that. The picture of is this fatherly God who loves his children, who is perfectly good and knows what's best for them. And the idea is like, man, this is my desire for you. This is what I want for you more than anything. This is my desire. And what is his desire? It says your sanctification. And that's just a big word for saying growing in holiness. So what does he want? He wants you to be holy because what? He's holy. And so this is a good thing, right? Because, you know, like Reed, if he wants to be like me the rest of his life, he's going to get all my bad stuff too, right? Like I'm not holy. I'm not perfect, right? So he's going to take on the bad stuff too. But to be like God, to be like him, man, is really, really good. And that's God's desire for us. So what is holiness? I've got a definition in your outline there. It says holiness is conforming to the character of God, and at the same time, rebuffing what is not in accordance to his character. So there's that idea that as we grow, right, in holiness, right, the, the things that God, we become more and more like him. We, we love the things that he loves. We do the things that he calls us to do, and then we, we, we put off the things that are not of God and are not like him. So the idea is that God's desires become our desires. That's how you know you grow in holiness, right? All of a sudden, the things that you should do became the things you want to do because God desires those things so this is holy living and so what paul's gonna paul's gonna actually continue uh, i'm gonna go back a little bit the first of this verse and talk about like man well, how do we do this and here's what paul says this is how we grow in our holiness he's, he's it starts it off like brothers that's that family language like man finally like brothers like sisters in christ like we're family we get to do this together and he says this is my desire for you but it's not just my desire it's actually god's desire also for you and you can kind of hear his compassion, his urgency, right, in, in, in this letter to these people, his love for them. And here's what he says. He said, there's been some things I've taught you, you know, when I planted this church. And there's some things I've taught you. I mean, here's what I want you to do. I want you, and you know these things, but here's what I want you to do. He says that you ought to walk and to please God. So you ought to walk and to please God. And so really, those kind of go together, but the walking is kind of the action. And, so, and here's what Paul is saying. Basically, it's not enough just to know what to do. He said you should actually walk, right? And walking is really simply just following Jesus. You know, Jesus over and over just says, hey, follow me. You know, his early disciples, they actually followed him physically. You know, they, got, they walked around with him. They learned from him. They learned to, to do the things that he did. They learned to, to love the things that he loved. So they just went after and followed him. And so for us, too, it's that same thing of following him. 
And so this is real important because here's the deal. Like, it's really good for me to know how to pray, right? It's really good for me to know how to read my Bible. It's good for me to know how to confess my sins. It's good for me to know how to share my testimony. It's good for me to know how to defend the faith. It's good for me to know how to, um, uh, you know, just uh, share the gospel, right? Like, these are all really good things to know. But see, Paul is saying it's not enough just to know. Like, that's not following. The following is when you actually do the things that you know to do. And, um, but here's the deal. You know, I would, I would admit, like, I was me for a long time as a Christian. I grew up where I, lo- I love God and I believed in God. But, man, I love to learn about God. I love reading a lot of stuff about God. I love to, you know, grow in knowledge of God. But, t- you know, actually praying, you know, actually, like, you know, sharing the gospel, like, doing the actual things he called him to do. I didn't, confessing my sins to friends, you know, I didn't want to do that stuff, right? That's, that's too hard. <laughs> that's, not, that's not Christian living, you know? And so, again, so that's where I was at. And Paul said, no, don't stay there. And I think for me, the motive was wrong. My motive was always to learn about God, to learn information about God. And so Paul connects here as you ought to walk, but also what? To please God. You see, as we walk, Paul's saying, we please God. And then also that flips, that's our motive. So why do we walk? Because we know this is what God wants for us. This is what's best for us. This is what's good for us. So it, we know that it's the pleasure of God, right? And so again, so that motive shapes everything we do. And the encouraging thing is this church, this young, unstoppable church that was grew up in this crazy culture was doing it. You know, Paul says what? He says, keep on. Like, you're doing this. Like, Kenny just says, keep on doing it. And, and I think what he's saying there is basically like, you know, don't compartmentalize your faith. Like, just keep doing it, but let what you're doing incorporate all of your life. You know, that's one thing we say here. We say the connected life, right? Like, we're like, man, what is the connected life? It's not just following God upward or in one direction. It's like, I mean, it's the whole thing. And so if we really sum up, like, what are we called to do? Uh, it's, it's one thing is as we follow, what do we do? We love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Jesus sums it up, and that's what, and then so the gospel, as we believe in the gospel, it moves us up and we connect with God. And again, this it's communion with God. It's, it's in his word to hear from him and to know him. It's, it's, it's you know, feeding ourselves with his word. It's praying, right? It's corporately worshiping together. Uh, he also calls us to not just stay there, to love others, right? This is that, our church with the with word with each other. Like, we got to do life with people. People are messy. And God says, you know what, but you got to learn to love people. So get in community. Do life with people. And so he calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, that's how we follow, right? And, um, and then also we love people by serving, right? We serve in the church our gifting. Then also he's called us, man, this incredible, uh, this incredible commission with him to go, right, and make disciples of all nations. That's as we move outward with our faith, outward uh, to our world, a lost world. And so, again, we get to, as Monty talked about last week, we get to share our life in Jesus and the hope of Jesus with our lost friends, right? We get to engage with that. And then we get to grow up, equip the younger believers into their faith so they can do the same thing, so they can go out and make disciples of all nations. And so that is the connected life, right? It's all of those things, not just one. It's all of them. And this church was doing it. And so let me give you an example here of uh, um, where I was a few years ago. About five years ago, I was actually at a place where I was really convicted um, because, I, you know, our, I was leading the youth group. I've been here for a while, and we had a really great youth group of loving God. Like, we were worshiping. We were teaching the Word. Uh, we had Bible studies. Uh, we had a really good youth group of, of loving each other, man, really good communities with leaders that were awesome, and a place of care, and uh, just growing up in the Word. Like, so we a great place just to, 
to do that. But man, we had no mission. Like we were just there. I remember God really showed me one day. He's like, man, you're, a, you're like a hospital. You know, and these kids are coming in. And it's really good. And, and they're growing. And they're learning about me. And they're, they're finding salvation in me. And they're growing up. But then everybody's going to the waiting room. And they're just sitting. <laughs> and they're just waiting for Jesus to come back. You know, like, like it's just like just sitting there waiting in the waiting room. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, we've got to actually, like, get out. <laughs> like, get out of the waiting room until Jesus comes back. We've got to get out in our world, right, and engage it. And so, um, and so anyway, so I started trying to live this out the best I could. I had to model it first. And then I started calling students to this. And I remember one of the first students who wanted to do this was Brooklyn Hopkins. And Brooklyn was just a high school girl at this time. High school, okay, uh, you know, like a junior. And, uh, and she's the girl in the middle with the blonde hair. And basically what um, Brooklyn says, hey, you know, I, I don't want to just – you know, learn about God. I'm ready to, you know, continue to follow. And so she got trained on, you know, how do, how do, you, how do you study the Bible? You know, how do you, and she learned her identity in Christ. And then what she did after that, she started at high school, uh, you know, doing Bible studies with other high school girls, teaching them their identity in Christ. She knew this stuff, so she was passing it on, right? Uh, she also, uh, she learned how to share her go- the gospel. She learned how to share the testimony. And guess what she did? She actually shared the testimony. She'd share her, the gospel. And then she started equipping high school kids to share the gospel, share her testimony. She goes off to colleges as an RA and just continuing to live this connecting life and, and loving God. And, and then she comes back and she wants to serve in our youth ministry after, after a year or so. And then so she starts walking with these young little, you know, seventh grade girls for a few years. They're all freshmen in high school now. But again, same thing, living, right, the connected life, loving God, sharing Jesus training up um, these young disciples. And so you saw some cool pictures there. And here's what I was talking to her this week and asking her about. Like, man, just tell me a little bit about that. And here's what she said. She said, yeah, at first it was really like something I I knew I had to do. Um, But then as I got a taste of it, I got into the mission of God, I just, you know, I loved it. And it became something I just wanted to do. I couldn't imagine not doing it. You see what happened there? Like it's growing in holiness, right? Her desires changed from I've got to do this to, oh, I get to do this. I get to do this with God, and it's so exciting and uh, so incredible. So, Brooklyn, thank you for your testimony. Beautiful. Thank you for letting me share that. So, again, so let me, let me pause there. Like, like, where are you at with this, with this holy living? You know, are you just learning about God? Are you, are you, have you been healed and you know a lot and you've been trained up and you're just sitting in that waiting room just, just chilling? Like you're, here's what I'll say. You're missing out. I missed out for a long time. The stuff Brooklyn's doing, I didn't do that until I was out of seminary. I was really old, Okay. So she inspires me, and I can give you tons of stories of students doing that. It inspires me. So again, like, where are you at with that? All right, next section. All right, God's desire for you, holy sexuality. Yes, we're going to dive into this. All right, so the culture of this young church, okay, um, here's the culture that they grew up in, okay? Uh, Sex was just, uh, you know, marriage was normal, so you got married, man and a woman, um, and that's where you'd have your legitimate children, okay? That's where you'd have your legitimate children. You know, they would take over your inheritance. Um, and your wife would just kind of take care of the household and take care of those kids, right? So, so sex was within there. That was normal. The next thing is you had courtesans. And courtesans were basically, uh, these were the people you hooked up. This was your chemistry, right? So this was very normal and okay. But these were, the, these were the people outside of marriage or even before marriage that you had chemistry with and you just had sexual activity with. It was just kind of very common. A lot of times it involved like buying expensive gifts and money and things like that. You know, didn't give the money to the wise, right? It was to, to, the, to these people. So again, that was a, a very common practice in that culture. Uh, the next thing was um, concubines, okay? So these were basically families had slaves and that would work for them. And uh, it was legal 12 and up that you could have uh, 
sexual activity with your slaves. These were young boys, young women, you know, just... It was okay. Like, this was the culture. So this was very okay, very, very normal in this culture. This was like, again, sexual desire was everything, and you just acted on it. And that was, that was okay. So remember, these Christians, they grew up with that. They were probably practicing a lot of this stuff. They didn't know any better until they heard the gospel of Jesus. And so they're living with all that funk and shame, whatever, right? And so Paul's words are going to be so powerful as he speaks to this. But I, before I get there, I want to just remind you guys, we're not much different, right? Our culture, I think about how many marriages end because of, oh, man, I don't love my wife anymore, or we just don't have chemistry, you know? So this person over here, man, we really connect and emotionally connect, and, you know, there's chemistry here. Or, or think about just the hookup culture, even in, outside of marriage, before marriage, like friends with benefits, very normal now, apps where you can just, you know, set up a time to hook up with whoever you want to. Very common and normal now. Think about the things we're enslaved to now. Uh, pornography. Like it's, I don't have time to go over the stats, but it is mind-blowing. And here's the sobering thing is that the, the, the percentage is not much different for Christians. You know, it's, it's very close. We're very close to our culture with that. One thing that was interesting, the number one day to view porn is Sunday. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that crazy? Woo! That's right. So... And, and then, obviously, you know, sex trafficking today, that's still going on, right? Four million young kids, um, young women are exploited every single year. And here's the deal. When we don't follow God's plan for sexuality, that's what happens. The vulnerable and the young and the women are the ones who are taken advantage of. And that was happening in this culture, and it's still happening today. So let's turn to God's word and look for some advice and help on this. Uh, we're going to continue three uh, up to eight. So let me read this. So here's what he says. So this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for purity, for impurity, but what? Holiness. You can underline that. Holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. So what it starts off abstaining from sexual immorality. I mean, abstaining means don't do it, right? Don't act on it, okay? And so what is sexual immorality in the Bible? It is any and all sexual activity outside of marriage. So any and all activities, sexual activity outside of marriage, and the scriptures is really clear, marriage is between a man and a woman. Okay, that's very, very clear. And so here's a few examples. I just want you to just like as you, as you hear these things, just, just think about these, these different sexual sins. Seduction of a virgin, incest, bestiality, homosexual activity, cross-dressing, adultery, prostitution, premarital sex, rape, then also Jesus had to take it to another level. And he says, you know what? Actually, if you've had lust in your own heart, right, um, that's basically like having an affair. So lust, right? He adds that to it, um, which we could obviously add in there to pornography, right? That's, um, so, again, so those are things that are like that God said, man, no. Like that's, that's not it. Like all that's outside of my plan uh, for biblical sexuality. And I don't know about you. When I hear those different things, what I tend to do is, the things I struggle with, I can connect with. Oh, yeah, I get that, you know. 
But these other sexual sins that maybe other people struggle with, like, man, like, they're crazy, right? Like, like how could they do that, you know? I forget how just my own sin, right? I can judge other sins, and I can easily go there. Um, so, so here's what the Bible is really clear. It's interesting. The Bible is what I love about it. With sexuality, the Bible says, of course, it says homosexuality, right, acting like that, is not okay. It says it's wrong. But it also says that heterosexuality in itself is not the answer, right? All those sins there, a lot of them were heterosexual sins that were outside the context of marriage. And so I love what uh, Christopher Yuan says. He kind of to- terms this phrase. He said, hey, the goal is not just one of those. The goal is holy sexuality. And he kind of defines it as this. Holy sexuality consists of two paths, chastity and singleness and faithfulness in marriage. Chastity is more than simply abstaining from extramarital sex. It conveys purity and holiness, right? So it's, it's, just, it's growing, right? It's learning more. About, it's knowing God better and better. Right? It's growing that purity and that love for God and holiness. And again, it's faithfulness more than just merely maintaining chastity and avoiding illicit sex. It actually conveys covenantal commitment. So it's more just like, hey, we're just married to be married. It's like, man, we're, we're, we are one. There's intimacy. There's commitment, right? There's, there's relationship there. Um, there's love there. So you see, that is what God has called us to. And so um, I won't share his story, but I put his name there, Christopher Yuan. He's got a great book on holy sexuality in the gospel. Um, he's got a great story. I want you to go to YouTube and check it out. But basically, he was a guy, he has same-sex attraction all his life, still has that, right? Um, and then through just, man, incredible prayer and through the gospel, he ends up coming to Christ. And he basically, but he had, he had this problem. He said, I have these sexual desires for men, right, homosexual desires. But then I, I want to follow Jesus. And he basically said, I had to pick. And he said, but Jesus was far greater, right? And, and, and so he's a professor at Moody Institute now, Bible Institute. So anyway, incredible story of transformation. But his desire necessarily hasn't changed yet. But guess what? He's following Jesus, living a life uh, that's celibate for him. So how do we abstain, right? I know at one point you're like, man, okay. Like, what do we do? How do we abstain? How do we, how do, we do that? So here Paul's going to give us a, a little bit of advice here. Uh, verses 4 through 5 and 8, it kind of sums up. The first thing is you must depend on God. That's that trust, right? He says a few things here. He says, you know God. Like, you actually know him. And so you're different than these people who don't know God. You know God, so you have his presence with you. He also says that you have the power of self-control. Like, you can actually, you can fight this because God's with you. And he also says you have the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And so you've got everything you need, right, to to fight this desire. Uh, Because you've got God, but you've got to depend. And I would say for me, man, I'm telling you, this was like a, I grew up um, without all the internet, right? Like we were back in the dial-up days. You remember that? Raise your hand. That's old people in here, right? The wah, wah, the wah, 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 you know. And so, but temptation still comes, right? I remember as a middle school boy walking home from school, uh, going through this church parking lot that had this field, and walking through, all of a sudden there's this magazine on the ground. I remember picking it up and seeing things that a 7th and 8th grade boy should never see. Pornographic, you know, magazine there. And I remember, like, that, at that point in my life, there was this battle, right, uh, of sexual lust in my mind um, for a while. And then I, you know, I'm telling you, that here's, what, here's what really transformed me. When I got to college, later on in college, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 rocked my world. Um, because I was at that place where I was tired of just kind of, you know, just kind of, you know, liking God. I was like, I'm going to actually follow him. And I'm starting to follow God and uh, be transformed by him. And I remember that verse, a few things that really stood out to me. That was what it said here. Is that one, it said that, you know, your temptation is common. Like what you're going through, Benji, like that's common. So, 
Any, any temptation you're facing out there, here's what the word God says. He said, that's common. Like, you know, other people are struggling with that. So you're not alone in that temptation. It also says that God is faithful, right? He's not going to abandon you. He's with you. So he's faithful. So I have to trust him. He says, you're not going to be tempted beyond what you can take. So these temptations that are coming your way, um, th- there's nothing that comes your way that you cannot handle with God's help. And that was, man, that was hard to believe because I remember as a, as a middle school and a high school and college kid, like, no, I can't fight these sexual desires in my mind. Like, there's no way. Like, that's crazy. And, but then I read this, like, wait, actually, okay. And then here's the promise at the end. God will provide an escape so you can endure, right? He's always promised a way out. And so I remember for, in that moment, I was like, man, like, are my sexual desires and, and my temptations greater than the power of God? And that was a moment, and it took some time, but keep fighting that and fighting it and really trusting God. And I'm telling you, it freed me from that, right? doesn't mean there's temptations don't come, but, man, it's not that, that daily, right, like battle where it feels like, man, I'm never winning. Like, man, God freed me from that. So, again, you've got to trust, right, his word and who he is over your own desires, whatever sexual desire that is. Verse 6 says, here's another thing Paul says you should know, that no, uh, it says this, that no one transgressed and wronged his brother in this matter. So basically, you know what he's saying here is that basically when you have sexual activity outside of marriage, outside of God's plan, is it doesn't matter if it's consensual. It doesn't matter if both agree to it. He's saying you always take advantage of the other person. That's pretty convicting, right? Like it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter what you engage in. Jesus is saying, hey, that's not part of his plan. So therefore, guess what you're doing? You might not know it. You're taking advantage of that person. You know why that is? Because, because what? Biblical sex is a gift. It's a gift to give the other person in marriage. See, sex is less about yourself than about the other person, right? And so anything outside of God's plan for marriage between a man and a woman doesn't happen that way. It's so much about yourself and your own pleasure. And Paul's saying, man, you got to know that. Like you actually offend someone. And it says a brother. So he's talking about a brother in Christ. He's talking to Christians right now that you offend someone. So that's important to know. But then here's what happens, right? This is next. The next part of 6 says this, right, is that um, the Lord is an avenger, okay? So not Captain America, right? He wasn't the first avenger, Jesus Christ. Um, but but here's, the, here's the point, right? He basically is saying this like, look, if you're offended or you're taken advantage of, guess what? Jesus is going to avenge that. He's going to defend that. He's got your back. He knows what's going on. He's got your back. And so, and Paul doesn't say what he's going to do, but the really cool thing is, is that what Paul is saying is basically like, look, like, that gives you comfort, right, if you're the one that is offended, right? Like, oh, man, I don't know what Jesus is going to do, but he's got me. He's going to redeem. He's going to take care of this, right? He's going to restore me. But now if you're the offender, whoo, Jesus, right, he's going to avenge. And this is the Christians he's talking about. He will discipline you, okay? He will discipline you. I don't know what that is. I don't think I want to know what that is if I was the offender. But it's it's not going to be good, okay? And it's for your correction to bring you back to repentance. Um, So, again, so knowing that's important, right? And then the last thing, it just kind of cuts back to motives again. But what's the motive? You know, it says your holiness, right? Verse 7, that God has called you to be holy. So, again, you're never going to fight these temptations just based off pleasing other people. Like, man, okay, I'm going to fight this just because my wife can be mad at me if I don't, you know. Or if it's really good for my kids if I fight this temptation. Like, that's good, and that's great reasons. But ultimate reasons, you got to know that, man, it's not what God wants for you, and he's the only one that is pleasing, right? It's, and it's his approval that you're looking for. So that's got to be the motive there, right, is the pleasure of God. And so 
I want you just to pause for Just imagine. Sean McDowell, I'm going to read this from his book um, on Chasing Love. But imagine a world where we actually followed what Jesus said, especially with his, with his uh, sexual ethics. Here's what it says. Isn't this world good and beautiful? Following the sexual ethics of Jesus would quite literally transform our world for the better. There would be no more victims or users of pornography. There would be no more sexual exploitation, sexual trafficking, or sexual abuse. There would be no sexual transmitted diseases. There would be no rape. There would be no pregnancies outside of a loving, committed marriage. There would be no crude, degrading sexual humor. There would be no abortions because even an unplanned for ch child would be loved and cared for by his or her parents. There would be no pain from divorce. There would be no deadbeat dads. There would be no prostitution. There would be no men who leave their wives for younger women. And there would be no adultery or the devastation it brings to families. Whew. Isn't that good? Like that's God's desire for the world, right? Everyone. Now, and now here's the deal. This is what we're called to do, the church. So the world's not going to buy into this. But we can, right? The church can because this is, he's called us to be holy. And we can do this um, with his help. So that is the goal. Um, let me share a quick story here. Uh, David Campbell, he's a, he's a guy who goes to our church, and uh, he gave me permission to kind of share the story, and he's very open if you guys would want to talk to him more about this. Um, but basically, David Campbell, what I love about David as a high school kid, I remember him coming through our youth ministry, is that um, this is when our youth group was a little bit smaller, that many times he was the only guy showing up in this small group. But he had Cameron and he had David Lee always there with him. He had two leaders. It's like, hey, I'm here if you're going to show up. And they loved and cared for him. And what I love about David was he was just so honest. He was honest with where he was in, in his life. David goes off to college and uh, get, you know, ends up getting a job here in Murfreesboro, comes back here. And uh, he wants to start serving in our youth group. And in some of our conversations before he's serving, he's like, man, I want to be honest. Like, I've had a lot of sexual sin in my past um, that wasn't, you know, wasn't well. And, and I've struggled with pornography still. I was like, okay, that's, that's good. I'm glad you told me about that. Let's, let's work through this. And so he starts kind of leading his, his small group. And, um, and then what happens is at some point, here's what I love, is that he actually came to me. He said, you know what, I need help. He's like, I'm realizing that that, that sexual sin and that pornography messed up has really given me a lot of shame, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. Like it's just like I'm at a place where, man, I've got to do, do something with that. And so here's what I love about that. He asked for help, and then he actually took the courageous step to get help. And, and, and to do action. And so he starts coming to our, the recovery at our church. We have a recovery group that meets here on Tuesday nights. Um, it's not just for sexual stuff. It's anything. But he's, he goes to that faithfully week after week and starts becoming more and more like he's getting, he's getting healed, right? Like he's, he's recovering. But at the same time, he's leading this group of guys, you know? And so he just starts sharing what God's doing in his life. He's opening up his heart, his life. And so what happens is with this group of guys, they eventually start opening up with their own, you know, whatever sin they had, right? They start, they start opening up with that. And what you'll, what you'll see is that these guys absolutely love David, right? Because um, they know David loves them. And all of these guys, what they're doing is they're being honest with their sin, whatever their sin is, and they're on a road to recovery, right? A lot earlier than, like, a lot of us wait to. So, again, like, man, I just want to encourage you with that. Like, that's, that's the work of God, changing someone's heart and desires, but also continuing to live the connected life. You know, he, he didn't check out. He just kept on. And those, those young men were impacted by that. So let me pause there. How are you doing with holy sexuality? <laughs> right? That's pretty convicting. Um, I would say for me, I mean, the convicting thing for me so far was just that, like I said, I don't struggle with the lust and pornography stuff, but the struggle really was like, man, loving other people who have a different, you know, sin than me. 
Like, you know, I have a lot of condemnation and, you know, th- people that are different, you know, maybe same-sex attract, whatever. Like, I'm, like, really wrestling with this text. Like, man, God, like, I don't have compassion <laughs> like you do. I don't have the heart of you. So, God, grow me that area. So, again, like, let's, where are you at? How's God growing you there? All right, lastly, let me turn here. Last section is God's desire for you. Holy love. This is the last section. Let me read this quickly. Uh, it says, Turn now concerning, this is verse 9, now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. So here's what's happening here. This church is living the connected life, right? Like, and so what's happening is Paul's just saying, man, keep doing it more and more. And, and so holy love involves some kind of observable action. These weren't just a group of really nice Christians, you know, like, hey, these are really nice people. Like there's something, there's rumors spreading all throughout Macedonia. This is miles and miles, right? This is before social media, right? It's spreading by word of mouth that this church is making an impact on their community. And this church loves us. And they're so different than everything in our culture. You see that? And so there's a lot of poor communities in there. Maybe they were giving money. Maybe they were providing food. But we know they were giving their life in the gospel as early on First Thessalonians tells us. Um, so he gives you a few things here. He just reminds them, hey, be at peace with each other. So as you continue to do that, keep doing it. Like, man, he's encouraging them. Man, go. He said, but be at peace with each other. Um, also, he says, you know, it's okay to work with your hands. So in this culture, the elite would not work with their hands. They kind of look down upon that. Um, that was below them. But he's saying, hey, it's okay to continue to work. Um, but what happens is it, it, it helps you have influence with outsiders, right? It's like as you continue to work, because what are they doing? They're probably being really generous. So they're just giving and, and you know, sacrificing stuff to, to give to others. Um, and then he, at the very end, he says, you know, and don't be dependent on others. Um, and the point there is like it's okay at times if you're dependent on others. But he's saying, hey, if you can work, work. And therefore, you have the ability to give, right? You have the ability to bless and take care of other people, right? It's not just, you know, relying on other people. So, again, he's encouraged them to continue to do that. So, man, that's that holy love, right? It involves sacrifice. It involves generosity. And it involves action. It's not just this feeling, oh, cool, I really like these people. I really love these people. Like, it actually takes steps towards something and make, making a difference. So, so what? So here's what we're going to do now. We're going to go, man, I don't know about you, but as you look at all these things, you're probably like, my goodness. Like, I can't live this way. And I hope you're feeling that a little bit because we all need the gospel, right? <laughs> One thing that we forget about sometimes in this connected life we talk about, what's right there center? What do you all see right in the center? The gospel, right? Like, because here's the deal, right? Because if we don't remember Jesus, here's what we're going to do. We're either going to really strive really, really hard, and we're going to try to do all these things God calls us to do, and, man, we're just going to strive, and we're, we're going to fail every time if we strive in our own, own, own ways, right? Um, or we're just going to settle. We're going to be like, okay, God, like, you know what? That's too much. I'm not doing that. I'm just going to settle and do whatever I want to do. But you live a life disconnected from God, and you'll never be satisfied. So here's what I'm calling you to do this morning. I want you to think about Jesus this morning, okay? So think about this. Jesus Christ, right? His first 30 years, like we don't know very much about him, right? His first 30 years, we know he was, you know, he grew in wisdom and stature. But at his baptism, Jesus had lived 30 years of holy living. Because what happens at his baptism? You know, his 30 years of waiting, God said, nope, not the time yet. Nope, not the time yet. Like 30 years of the Messiah waiting to reveal himself in his public ministry. 
And then at his baptism, guess what happens? As he, as he comes out of the water, what's the father says what? He says, you're my son, right? Your son, beloved. Like, I love you. And then what does he say? I am well pleased. No ministry. Jesus hadn't done it. What we he was just working, doing whatever God, he was waiting. God was well pleased with him because he did, he lived holy perfectly. We don't, right? So we believe in him. He covers that. Replaces that. Next thing, man, holy sexuality. Think about Jesus, man. Like, never, ever gave in to any sexual temptation. He actually lived a life of singleness. Right? Sometimes we, we kind of promote marriage as the only answer. He lived single and had the most fulfilled life ever. You know, treated every man and woman with dignity and respect and love. Go to John 4 this week, right? He meets this woman at the well. Who, who was an outcast, who was at the world at a different time when everybody else, like, she, she was probably been used and abused, right? And then five different marriages, right? Women had no power and rights in this, in this time, right? And he sits with her, he listens, he asks questions, but then he speaks truth. He reveals who he is. And this woman runs off to the place that she was trying to be away from and tells everyone about him and says, hey, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. So there, so those of us in here, they're struggling with some kind of sexual sin, whether it's, I don't know what it is, right? Pornography, same sex, uh, you know, affairs, whatever that is, whatever sexual sin, premarital sex, whatever that is. Like, I want you to go to John 4 this week because look, something happened with that encounter. Jesus was so gracious, so truthful that she goes to a place and says, hey, you gotta meet a man that knows everything about me, but you know what? He loved me, right? He, he, he loved me, right? And that is the only love that's going to help you fight that sexual temptation, that sexual morality, right? You've got to get his love for you. Um, and then, man, holy love, right? He goes to the cross. He didn't, he didn't, you know, he didn't deserve the cross, but he takes our place, right, to, to, to go on our behalf. Like, that's sacrifice. That's love. And so the gospel is the only thing um, that's going to change us, right, with this. And say, here's the great thing. If you're a believer in Christ, and it's hard to believe, and this is what makes it easy to follow, is that the things that Jesus' baptism are true of us, that you are son and daughter of the king. You know, you're a son and daughter. And so Jesus is going to do anything for his sons and daughters. All right? God the Father is going to do anything. So you, you never lose that status. You can't lose that status because you're his child. Right? And so, that, so he's always, right? And the next thing is what? Is that you're loved. Doesn't matter what sexual sin, whatever you've been given, you know, whatever, you're still deeply loved, right? Because what? Jesus' love like, conquers your sin. His forgiveness is greater. His righteousness is greater than anything you've ever done. So you've got to get that. And then lastly, what? Man says you're, he's well pleased with you. Remember this whole time we're talking about, man, the motive is knowing he's pleased with you? Well, in the gospel is the only way you're ever going to know that God's always pleased with you. Okay? Yeah, because what he's always, right? Because Jesus is always, he's always pleased with his son. And he looks at you through his son now, not through your own striving and your own work and your own sin. He sees Jesus, okay? So then the picture is what of this father walking behind you the rest of your life. And every time you fall down, he's there to pick you up, right? We don't boo little kids when they fall down, right? We get them up, right? Because that's the picture of following Jesus, that you have this heavenly father walking with you, whatever he calls you to. So maybe this week he's calling you to, to, to actually talk to somebody about, about your sexual sin. Maybe he's calling you to actually get out of the hospital and actually do something, right? Follow. Maybe he's calling you to do some extreme love. I don't know what that is. But um, if you want to bow your heads, I want to just pray and ask God to show you 
your next steps. Father, I just pray you would show um, all of us, Lord, Jesus this morning. If we don't know Jesus, would you help us? Um, would, you, would you, man, make it clear that we need a Savior and that Jesus has saved us from our sins if we trust in him? If we know him, Lord, would you help us follow him? Would you give us specific steps, Lord, and give us courage to continue to uh, follow? So continue to pray and ask God to show you those things. Pray with me, Father in heaven, so grateful that uh, you are the great truth teller, and your word tells us that uh, we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free. So Father, I pray that this room would be full of free people, Lord, everyone who's watching online, I pray that just freedom would sweep through our church. Your word says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord, would we walk in that freedom? The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, let that wash over us change us and then use us pray that in Jesus name Amen